0: All right. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the text lab where every single week we do a deep dive into the text uh, just to really understand and look at what the text is saying to us this week in order that we would be disciples who make disciples. So our hope is that the text lab would help you have a meaningful study, reflection, and conversation about what God has said to us in and through his word. Kyle Lundquist and myself, David Kroll, Joining you today on the Tech Lab, Kyle. Two weeks in a row on the Tech Lab. Two weeks in a row. Yep, it's good to be here. This is your second. This is, two Sundays. This is your two like eight in eight days in. Welcome eight to the Hundred ten degrees.
1: Hundred
0: ten degrees. One hundred eight degrees. Yeah, already off the bat. um Kyle and I lived together at Biola way back in the day. Um, Did a little bit of Talbot seminary together as well. And so it's fun to be riffing on the text lab podcast too, uh, which is a good time. And so I've got stories about David Crawl. If anybody needs stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, the right place to go. So we are diving into a ton of scripture today, so we won't read through it, Um, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 42 through 46, second to last week of the Genesis series that's here over the summer, taking a look at that and just really diving into what is going on in the narrative of Genesis, what is happening, um, and through really these family storylines and connections that are being played out, part of these bigger stories. As we're diving in in 42 through 46, Kyle, what's kind of just the context that's
1: going on? Yeah, so zooming out, thinking of all of Genesis, Genesis at this point is tracking this promise that God has made to Abraham. So way back in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring, and he says he's going to give them a land, a lot of children, a whole Mm. nation's worth of children, and he says that I'm going to bless you so that you can become a blessing to all the families of the earth. So really what this promise is about is it's a picture of God promising to recreate eden there's a land yeah and there's going to be fruitfulness and multiplication just like god said to adam and eve and then there's blessing which is supposed to flow from eden to the whole world so god has promised to recreate an eden where humans can live with god again and he's going to do it through this family Um, and so the rest of genesis is tracking this promise so you know we're talking about this the promise is basically one of the primary characters in genesis and so then when we get to joseph um joseph is part of abraham's family and he's one of the inheritors of this promise. And then actually at the end of chapter 41, we actually see like a little explosion of Eden in Joseph's life. And so just for our listeners to recap
0: even how that happens through the Abrahamic family. You have um, really a foreshadowing moment in Genesis 3.15 about um, the, he- the head of the serpent being stepped on that a lot of commentators and authors think, okay, this is pointing towards Christ in this way, that he will step on Satan's head. Um, you have God making this Abrahamic promise and covenant with him in Genesis 12 is where that, that happens, that the promise really sets in motion now four different generations of families from Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob, and now Jacob with his 12 sons and Joseph. And so we've kind of picked this up starting in Genesis 37 with Joseph as an inheritor of that promise and God's promise coming to fruition really in these chapters that we're studying right now.
1: Yeah, we see like, and we'll see this all through the Old Testament, little explosions of Eden where we see the blessing flowing from God's people into the nation. So in Genesis 41, verse 57, we see it with Joseph. It says, remember... God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, so yeah. you can bless all the families of the earth. Genesis 41:57. All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. And so the whole earth, all the families of the earth, they're coming to God's guy, Joseph, and they're being blessed. And they're finding food. Um, Which I think you when know. you understand that, suddenly understanding genesis becomes a little bit easier and you really just have a framework
0: for like what's going on in all these stories when you just open up the book of genesis and just plop right into genesis 41 if you haven't read and understood Genesis 3 and Genesis 12, and then what happens to Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, you have a hard time understanding just what's going on in Genesis 41, what's going on in Genesis 42. So understanding just that bigger framework, really, especially in Genesis, and then really when you're reading any portion of scripture, understanding the genre that it is written in, what is going on here, you're in Genesis, it's this big narrative genre that gives you interpretive clues really to understand what is going on in this text and really on that note you see joseph as the inheritor of that promise both people coming to joseph to receive that promise the way that they're coming to him being blessed by him in that family, but then that also dispersing out from Joseph as well, and so there's kind of this parallel, I think, really even dual nature of salvation that happens that you see throughout all of Scripture of people then eventually come to the nation of Israel and meet and encounter Yahweh. Yet then also that goes out through Christ eventually to through the blessing to the ends of the earth through all peoples from the Abrahamic family. It's it's this incredible narrative that's being unfolded throughout hundreds of years and hundreds of generations um that happening um that that the promise is being sent out to the ends of the earth and you see that happening even in joseph
1: yeah yeah and one more thing before we jump into our very long section is that the the blessing is really flowing from god's presence and so Mm. all through joseph's story we keep hearing this refrain of Yahweh was with Joseph and God was with Joseph. And that's why Joseph can be a person of blessing. It's not because he's awesome. And that's true for us as well. It's not because you're awesome. Yeah. I'm not awesome. Um, but the question is, is Yahweh with us? Yeah. And if yeah. Yahweh is with us, then we can be a conduit of his blessing to the world. Yeah. So yeah. we don't have to feel like uh, I've got it all together mm. and I got to get it all together before I mm. can go love and bless and minister to other yes. people. Because it's not about that. It's yeah. about, is Yahweh with me? Yeah. And if he is, then the blessing can flow through our life. Yeah out into the world. And it almost feels like Moses in Genesis is
0: highlighting often almost just how not awesome each person and family was. How dysfunctional they were. How much... um, Continual themes of deceit and jealousy happen from Abraham lying about his wives. Isaac learns that from his dad, lies about his wives. Jacob learns from his grandfather and his dad and steals the birthright from Esau down to Jacob's sons now lying. I mean, you clearly see these patterns and themes of just how dysfunctional, broken these families are, yet nothing will stop this other character in the narrative, the promise, from moving forward. Yeah,
1: Yeah, just... To illustrate that, I I just learned this the other day, when you read Abraham's story in Genesis 12, where God first makes this promise, and God literally says, I want to bless you so you can bless all the families of earth. Yeah. The next story is Abraham goes to Egypt, and he actually brings curse to Mm. Egypt because he goes, he lies about his (sighs) wife, and then God starts to, like, discipline the Egyptians Mm. because they're getting away this promise. But it's Abraham's fault. Like he he literally was just told, Go be a blessing in nation. where the, the and he blessing immediately, go right And he immediately becomes like a, a presence of curse mm. because of his sin. And so, yes, God's people struggle yeah. in the old testament. Yeah. Um, but the I, I think the encouraging thing for us, and we'll see some of this in, in the story, is that God is big enough and kind enough to use broken people
0: like us. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So So, we'll
0: pick this up this week in chapter 42 through 46. So massive chunk of scripture here. Remember some of the things we just talked about. What's the big story that's going on here? What are the big ideas of the text? What genre are we in? We're in this narrative. How do we really see God's big intentions through this narrative? Picking up with um, chapter 42, and it's helpful to break this down into a couple different scenes that are going on in this chapter of scripture. Really pick it up in 42 scene, there's this famine in Israel. Joseph's family is in need of food. Um, and Jacob, Joseph's father, sends the rest of his sons, he's, he, you still see this this theme of lament over the loss of Joseph there, as he sends um, his sons to Egypt to get food. But he remembers what happened last time his sons were out away from him, and he says, "I'm going to keep Benjamin here. I don't want to lose another precious son that I have." And so the brothers head to Egypt. They're they're trying to solve this problem of the famine, and in Egypt they encounter Joseph, um, but they don't recognize him. Not sure if he's like doing a great British accent there, kind of disguising his voice. Um, if he's really just grown out a beard there, they don't recognize Joseph and Joseph doesn't tell them that it's him.
1: Yeah. So this is where the story gets really interesting and long. So what Joseph does, Joseph doesn't let them know it's me. Yeah. And what's also amazing is he doesn't just, I mean, Joseph has power and authority. Mm. He's second in command. And like, yeah. this is a moment where he can have yeah. retribution. Snap his fingers. <laughs> totally. And these guys are dead. Mm. They're in prison, but he doesn't do that. But what he does is really interesting. He, He creates a test for them, essentially. And so what he does is he's gonna create a scenario that's similar to his own scenario a long time ago, where he's gonna pull out one brother, throw him in a pit, throw him in a prison, and he's gonna see if the rest of the brothers will abandon this Mm. guy, or if they'll come back. So he's trying to see, have my brothers changed? So they get food, they start heading back, but then he says, um, he accuses them of being spies. Mm. And they're saying, you know, we're not spies, but he just is adamant, no, you guys are spies, and I'm going to take one of your brothers, Simeon. I'm going to throw him in a prison. And if you ever want to see Simeon again, you need to go back. And he's heard that there's this other young brother, Benjamin. And he says, if you want Simeon to be freed from prison, you have to go home and prove you're not liars by yeah. bringing Benjamin back. Yep. And so now they've, they're they in a very similar situation. Years and years ago, they threw Joseph in a pit. They walked away. They went home to their dad and they said, dad, Joseph's dead. Yeah. It's really sad. They yeah. moved on with their life. So the question is, will the brothers do the same thing? Will they just leave mm. Simeon? They've got food. They've got they, Joseph actually sneaks their money back in their bag to make it feel even scarier to come back. Yeah. They feel like, oh gosh, we didn't even pay for our food. Mm. So they go back to their dad and they could just say, hey dad, Simeon died. And here we are, we got the food though. Let's just get on with their life. Yeah. But they don't do that. Yeah, and Would- s- Go ahead. Which is
0: bringing out kind of a redemption theme here in the narrative. Always when you're reading any genre, especially narrative, look for those patterns of repetition that might show up in the scripture. Same way through kind of the mega stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You see this repetition here. In the Joseph narrative itself, you see repetition happening again where the brothers now have this test that they're facing. Side note, if you're ever wanting to come up with a test or someone just accuse them of being spies. (laughs) And that is a a good lead-in for that. But now there's this opportunity and moment to see how the brothers will respond um, and whether they will respond in the same way or not. And you see Judah get some redemption moment here in the story.
1: Yeah. So this is really beautiful. So Judah was part of the gang of brothers who initially decided to throw Joseph in a pit. Well, to kill him is what they actually decided. So Judah is not framed positively thus far in the story. It actually pauses earlier in Genesis to give another chapter just on Judah's life. He is not framed positively. Mm. But here we see this moment of redemption where he goes back to his father. His father says, there's no way I'm sending Benjamin with you. Mm. I already lost Joseph. Mm. Now I've lost Simeon. I know what's going to happen. Yeah, if I send Benjamin, I'm never going to get Benjamin back. And Benjamin has basically become the new Joseph, the new favorite son. Mm. But what Judah says, instead of being jealous of his little brother, Benjamin, who is the favorite, Judah says, dad, we're going to die if we don't get food. Mm. and you can trust Benjamin into my hands, basically my my life for his life. Yeah. You can trust me. And he puts his own life yeah. on the line and then they go back. And so Joseph again is going to create a test. He receives all the brothers. Now Benjamin is there um, and uh, Simeon comes out of prison. But then what Joseph does, this is so interesting. He he starts to try to crank, uh, he, he's poking his big brother's hearts yeah. yeah. and he's trying to see if they will be jealous of Benjamin just like, they're been uh, mm. jealous of him. So he actually, it says they're feasting and he gives Benjamin five times as much yeah. food. He's showing yeah. favoritism. Another just like,
0: repetition in the
1: story. Totally. Yeah. Just like Joseph received favoritism. And then a similar thing happens. They send him all out. Joseph sneaks the silver cup yeah. into Benjamin's bag. The police go out. They accuse Benjamin of being a thief. And so again, the brothers are faced with this scenario. They can abandon mm. Benjamin, the favorite brother, the one that their father loves the most. They can just abandon abandon him, head home. Sorry, dad, we got Simeon, but Mm -hmm. Benjamin's gone. Mm -hmm. That's what they did with Joseph years and years ago. And so the question is, will they do it again? And again, we see this moment of redemption for Judah. And he eventually says to to Joseph, my my father will die if I go back without Benjamin. Take me instead. And so uh, Judah puts his money where his mouth is. And he he really says, keep me here in prison. I will stay. Just yet let this young boy go home. Um, And so now Joseph, seeing that, there's been change. He hmm. sees this transformation that the author, that Moses is is highlighting in, in Judah. He sees their transformation. He sees their change of heart, and then he reveals himself. He says, "It's me. Hey, it's me. Surprise! Surprise!" <laughs> um, yeah, he stops with the British accent, takes off the beard, and and he says, "It's me. I am your brother,"
0: which I think is incredible because two parts of it. Not only is this storyline fueling along the big redemptive narrative. That is happening through each family and through each um, family culture and peace and through their ups and downs and their own journey. But you actually then also see the blessing and the promise doing a redemptive work, even in a character like Judah. That's not on accident that you see this redemptive moment. For Judah, that's highlighted. And to think about what must have happened in the years between selling Joseph and now being put to test again. The blessing, the promise that will bring ultimate redemption in Christ is already bringing redemption in Judah's own heart and life Mm. that leads him to this place where he has this change of heart. There is forgiveness between him and the brothers. There's restoration. There's healing, which is just so... In stark contrast um, to the opposite of that, to how they operated in Genesis 39 that was just dominated by jealousy um, throughout all of the Genesis story, going all the way back to the immediate effects of sin on Cain and Abel and the consequences, the devastation, the death that's there, contrasted with this moment of forgiveness and healing and restoration that's happening with Joseph and his brothers. And you see that in um, 45.5, there's a part of the text there that says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life for the famine had been in the land these 2 years and there are yet 5 years in which there will be ne- neither plowing nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors so it was not you who sent me here
1: but God and that's that's Joseph speaking there and so that honestly that passage is just really astounding to me, Joseph's perspective. I mean, yeah. this guy has suffered like crazy, mm. and he's been in the pit. He's been in the prison. He suffered injustice. He's been accused unfairly, and yet now in this moment, he's saying these very profound things. He's saying that uh, it wasn't you who sent yeah. me; it was, it was God. So there's a there's a lot of implications we could unpack here. One that I just want to highlight, maybe quickly, is just the idea that as that that we see in Joseph's life as we begin to zoom out, is that God. God does not promise to remove suffering from our lives, but he does promise to breathe meaning mm. into our suffering. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Joseph's life. This dude suffers yeah. a lot. yeah. Um, and as Christians today, we're not immune to suffering. Mm-hmm. But just mm-hmm. like Joseph's life, God will breathe meaning into it. And that doesn't mean we have to be glad that the suffering happened. It doesn't mean that God caused the suffering to happen. Yeah. It just means that God is big enough, mm-hmm. powerful enough, Sovereign enough mm-hmm. to, in the midst of suffering and hardship and misfortune, um, to do something meaningful. And so we've touched yeah. on a few things. One meaningful thing is um, one massively meaningful thing is that probably thousands and thousands of people are being fed yeah. in the midst of this famine because of where Joseph is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're seeing this micro meaningful restorative act in the life of Judah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just thinking of people who are listening. There's hard stuff going on in your life. Yeah. It could be massive. It could feel smaller and nobody else notices it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and yet God will breathe meaning yep. into that. And it could be transforming our own heart. Mm-hmm. It could be um, have nothing to do with us. It might be that someone else yeah. in the world around us is mm-hmm. going to be blessed in some way. And mm-hmm. so I, I just take comfort in that because it's easy when life gets hard to lose sight of God, yeah. to feel like, I don't know where you are. I don't know what mm-hmm. you're doing. But mm-hmm. stories like this just remind us that um, God is in it. Yep. with us. Yep, His presence is still there. Mm-hmm. And because biblically, blessing flows from God's presence, not from good circumstances. So yeah. as long as God is with us, even when life is brutally difficult, God can and will yeah. do meaningful things in our life and the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And I think
0: right in that same vein is that blessing can flow out of hardship and does flow out of hardship that the promise is continued further through the remnant that's messaged that's mentioned in that passage that God is continuing to carry out his plan That will bring about full redemption through Christ. And so there's just encouragement to me in this place of this bigger story that's going on. There's always this bigger story that's going on in your life. That sometimes you get to see, like in the Joseph narrative, that you really do get to see the results of the good things that God brings out of the pain and the suffering and the meaning that is there. But sometimes you don't see that in your life. Sometimes you don't always know what is going on there with the pain, with the suffering. What is God doing in the midst of that, thinking about everything that we've walked through this last week with the Contreras family, the pain that they're in in this moment, there can still be purpose and hope, joy and trust and peace in the midst of the pain that ultimately, even in that, God is still working out his glory for our good in the midst of that. I think that just comes out so clearly from this Joseph narrative that God is still doing something even in the midst of that, bringing meaning to it, bringing his blessing through it um, and working ultimately even to a place where you see that in Judah's story and redemption that is in him
1: as well. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that, or I guess just to acknowledge something in my own heart, when I, when I read this last passage we read, we're, Joseph is saying, "So it was not you who sent me here, but God." Honestly, there's a part of my heart that sort of recoils at that. Like, that's just—it's hard to wrap my mind around. Like, just resting there, because there's a part of my heart when hard things happen. I just feel like Mm. I don't want any part of this. Yeah. Um, And and I I think I just want to acknowledge, like, I think that's normal. Yeah. Um, And yet, while we lament, as we should, yeah, we can trust that God Mm. is not absent. Mm Hmm. Um, this is related, but one of the the other things we see in this story is Joseph being this archetype of Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus, a lot of times people talk about Jesus being the suffering servant and Joseph is a suffering servant. And so, um, you know, in in Jesus, we see a God-man who suffers and dies to bring life to us and salvation. And in a very different way, but in a way that mirrors what Jesus does, Joseph is a man who suffers intensely Yeah so that he can save others. And that's what he's saying. Like, I suffered a lot and it wasn't fun, but God sent me here so that I could save you guys and have food to feed you. And so thousands of people don't die. Mm. And um, we are also supposed to be, C.S. Lewis says, we're all little Christs. We're little mirrors of Jesus. And so in our own life, um, like suffering will happen Mm -hmm. and it will come. Um, And yet in the midst of that, one thing that's really admirable about Joseph is he continues from at least what we can see, he continues to have faith in Yahweh and to strive to be faithful. And, um, I think we can trust that sometimes when life is hard and we're trying to be faithful, it just feels like, I don't feel like anybody sees this. It doesn't Mm. seem like it's doing anything, but I think we can just trust that God will honor daily faithfulness in the midst of hardship. And, um, and obviously we're not Jesus. We don't literally save people, but God again can use us, just our mundane faithfulness in day-to-day life to bring blessing. Mm. Um, and so Jesus is the ultimate suffering servant. Joseph is a picture of what it looks yep. like to be a suffering servant. And it's something we can seek to imitate, to say, I I want to I want to be like Joseph to be able to say, all this horrible stuff has happened, yet I can see the hand of God in the midst of it. Yeah. And I can forgive you, even yep. though you wronged me. And I can trust that Yahweh will not waste mm-hmm. my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Which I think changes how you start to live
0: each and every day in your relationships, in your circumstances, in the events of your life, recognizing a piece of God, a sovereign on the throne. God yeah. sent here. He was the one that was at work here. It was not you who sent me, but God. Ultimately, that acknowledgement of this is God's doing, his work, his plan. We can trust in that fully with our lives. Well, listener, thanks for joining us on The Text Lab today. Whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house or mowing the lawn, driving your car, whatever you like to do while you listen to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to dive deeper into the text this week.
1: As always, do your own prep and let the Spirit lead you.
0: We love you all. We'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.